Welcome to Beyond. We're pleased to be joined today by Luis Vasquez, Associate Director, Venture Capital Collaborations at UCI Irvine Beale Applied Innovation. In his role, he uses his experience and skills in institutional and financial investment fundraising to help connect startups in Southern California to investors. He also extends services and facilitates at the Cove to VCs and other investors to help increase engagement between investors and the Southern California ecosystem. Luis, welcome. Great to have you on the show. Great. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Ben. Absolutely. So as Associate Director of Venture Capital Collaboration at UCI Irvine Deal Applied Innovation, uh, you're playing a pivotal role in connecting ideas to capital. Uh, when an entrepreneur with an idea approaches you, uh, walk us through the process you take to connect these startups to, to venture capital. Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's the, that's the core of what I do. It's a, it's a new role that uh, Richard Sudek and I came up with, primarily Richard's vision, frankly. And it's unique in that uh, we haven't found another person at any other university that has the, the same type of role that I have. There's, they're similar, but, um, but what I do has a, an interesting twist to it. So um, I think I'll describe that a little bit first, and then I'll go into uh, what, what I do when the entrepreneurs come and greet us. Sure. And that is um, in helping connect entrepreneurs with investors. Um, I do that not only for UCI-related companies, but any company in, uh, in Southern California, primarily Orange County. So that's what's different and uh, unique, that other schools and other research institutions may have a role like mine, and they're engaging VCs, and they're, they're trying to get VCs interested in the innovations that are coming out of that institution. But most of them stop just right there. It's got to be developed at the institution. It's got to be intellectual property that was created there, and a, a company formed around that, and then they go out and do that. Um, my role expands that, and so I can work with any company in Southern California to uh, help do that. And that may not make sense originally. It's like, why is a university employee uh, uh, taking a role in a non-UCI-related company? And the, the vision is that um, you, UCI is great a research institution as it is, um, and frankly, we think almost any research institution. You know, we're we're, we've got the humility to know that, you know, we're, we're not going to be everything to every investor that's out there, right? They're, they're right. going to have other interests. So what we, uh, what we envisioned was that if I can help make those connections and raise up the ecosystem in general, well, there's going to be indirect benefits to the university and more, more graduates, uh, graduating students are going to be able to get jobs and, and join startups more faculty members will think about translational research instead of just the regular research that they do. More alumni will be inspired to start companies because they say, oh, this, this company was started and funded here. Maybe I should start one as well. And so the, the benefits will flow back to the universities. So in any event, so what I do is I'm really at the back end of the funnel though. So it's, it's important to know that. So Coming to me with an idea itself, you know, is, uh, is, is not really where, where my sweet spot is. If you have an idea, UCI, Beal Applied Innovation, has a lot of different people and resources that can help you out. But with an, when an entrepreneur comes to me and has um, a company and they're, they're ready for investment, then what I do is I, I review them. I meet them, obviously. I review what they're doing, take a look at their at their pitch deck. And um, if, if I determine that they're venture ready, we'll talk about how I determine that later, I'm sure. 
But then what I do is um, I create a target list out of the investors that I have within my network. And we can talk about that in a little while too, because that's a whole separate process. And then, uh, then I vet that target list with, uh, with the entrepreneur themselves so that they're comfortable with everybody. Then I reach out privately to the investors. And so um, it's not an introduction immediately. It's, uh, it's uh, email, private email to each investor personalized. And I give them some information about the company and tell them what's, you know, some, uh, what they're doing, who the entrepreneur is, and then have them opt in. And if they're interested, so then I have both sides. So it's a double opt-in process. And then if they're interested, then I make the introduction. And uh, to be very clear, uh, this is a free service. You know, even though it may sound like I'm doing broker-dealer type work, you know, there's no fees, no commissions, no service charges. It's a community service. I'm a university employee. You know, we don't get options. We don't get grants. We don't get warrants. You know, none of that. Through, through this process. We're, we're doing this third-party handoff, and then we uh, let, uh, let the consenting adults take it from there. Yeah, this is very unique, uh, Luis, because I've never heard of such a program where it's free, easy, um, quid pro quos at play, or there's something for something going on. Um, but the idea that a university's come about with this kind of program is pretty profound and powerful at the same time, because I can tell you, in early stage startups, you're really capital starved, you're looking for capital, mm -hmm. friends and family will only take you so far. So the idea that um, you're using the, the power of your networks and certainly the brand of UCI, and, and let's be honest, there's a lot of ideas coming out of UCI. And so whether they're coming from UCI or not, why not build up that ecosystem? I mean, I, I mean that's, I think, the ultimate, ultimate goal. Um, so as you think about entrepreneurs approaching you, um, I have an idea. And I think it's the best thing since sliced bread. It's going to change the world. When should an or, or an entrepreneur approach you um, for investment dollars? What stage should they be in typically? Okay. So um, to approach me, uh, the entrepreneur should have some evidence that this is venture ready because that's what I'm going to ask for. So what I mean by that uh, or examples of that is, is there already an investor that has committed to this? So it do, do you not just have a lead, but is there any investor who says, yeah, this is interesting and, and I, I would like uh, to do this? Uh, if you perhaps don't have that, then are you being referred to me by some valued person who, who, uh, whose opinion I respect on that? So find, find one of those people and get it to me. Now, that can... Sometimes that can be a little bit annoying. I know VCs kind of say that. It's like, well, don't come to me. Find a valued person to make that introduction. So at some point, like, well, where do I find those valued people? Exactly. Well, yeah. yeah here, you know, within our ecosystem, there, there are a lot of those folks. So, so either, you know, one of, the, one of the advisors from the SBDC, for example, you know, kind of get it ready. Someone from the UCI Beal Applied Innovation New Ventures Program could, could come to us. One of, the, one of the many angel investors and advisors that, that uh, work around the cove, so Tech Coast Angels or CoFund, et cetera. So somebody kind of referring that to me is, is, uh, is, is valuable. Um, if, they, you know, if they don't have a lead investor yet and they, they though still kind of want to uh, come to me, then I think you know, I'm going to look for the same things that others look for. And I think we'll talk about that. Some evidence that this is a product that uh, that that can scale quickly, that can grow that. So it's it's really kind of 
introduction-based or they're at the output of a program or just some evidence. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about that too. So if an entrepreneur had a proof of concept, it could scale, it's a big market, um, and maybe funded it him or herself, maybe they put 50,000, 100,000 in. It's not really the amount of money they've gotten in. It's really about, you know, does it work? I think that's for medical devices. Does it work? Do you have a device? Um, but it sounds like it's more um, the opportunity and it's not so much, hey, did you raise 500,000? That triggers an event to go introduce you to investors. It's really, have you really baked the opportunity out? Have you really studied it, tested it, done a proof of concept, um, and done some work along the way to demonstrate that it's feasible, it's real, it's scalable, and by the way, it, it meets an unmet need. Right, and, and you know, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm at the back end of the funnel. So, but that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean you have to go right to me, right? We, we have a lot of resources uh, here within Orange County that, that, you know, that aren't at Applied Innovation. There's other, other organizations that do this type of thing. There's, um, there's other mentor groups that will advise. And so working those things and having those organizations and processes bubble things up, whether it's through an SBDC, ours, Launchpad, um, one of the others, um, that that type of work kind of builds that evidence and more brains kind of looking at it will help shape it to, to get it to where it is. So, so yeah, if you've got an idea, definitely get out there. I may not be the right person at that moment, but I will be the right person a few steps down the road, which will get you to what you really want, which is investment. Right. So in your experience, what are some of the mistakes early stage companies make when approaching investors with an idea? Well, you know, if, if you uh, approach an investor with an idea, I think one of the mistakes is what are you really asking for? So are you asking for investment? Probably, because that's where you need to go. But what do, you, what do you say you're asking for? What can you really get out of it? What you really want to get out of it is some kind of advice, some kind of direction. Importantly, maybe some milestones. So you approach an investor with an idea, um, then instead of asking for money, why don't you ask for, you know, at what point do you think this would be ready? What are the metrics that you think will, uh, will get you confident with it? If it's a, if it's a, a, a SaaS uh, software program, for example, then, you know, can you talk about your consumer or your customer acquisition costs? Can you make some estimates about the, the lifetime value? Can you demonstrate some of those metrics, the month-on-month -month growth in users or, or uh, ARPU or just the other types of metrics? So talking to investors with an idea, then the, the thing that you probably want to get out of that is what are the metrics that are going to be important to you and at what level will you get interested in? So that, that's a mistake, asking for money versus asking for, um, you know, the... Uh, Frankly, the answers answers to the test, right? You know, it's like, hey, you know, tell me tell me which questions are going to be on the test. That way, I can prepare for them and come back to you at the right time. I think it's, I think it's a brilliant point. You know, asking for advice as opposed to looking at these guys just as money people, but really asking for advice based on their experience that can make or break a company. I mean, that's the constituency of a board, right? It's the experience, the foresight. They've been through the rodeo multiple times, uh, and the idea of really approaching an investor. Um, with with mindset that says, look, I want to learn and I want to understand the opportunity and context and through the prison of someone who has tremendous experience on making investments and placing investments. So I talked to an investor the other week 
And as we're going through the pitch deck, he brought up a lot of great points, a lot of salient points based on other investments that he's made and, and sort of lookouts and watchouts. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think what you're saying is, is um, usually not the first thought of an entrepreneur. They're thinking about money because if I have the money, I can execute in the plan. Right. Um, but I think that that sort of reverse and how you think about things is really important. So when investors look at early stage deals, uh, what are three or four um, of the most important things they, they look for in companies they would consider investments uh, into? Well, I think, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you go to investor conferences, you go to those, you'll, you'll, you'll hear that type of question a lot. And I think one of, the, one of the answers you always hear is team. You hear, like, it's very important. The team is important and the entrepreneur is important. Absolutely. I'm, you know, not going to discount that in any way because ultimately um, that is very important. You know, the very common... Uh, thing you hear is that uh, uh, investors will invest in the jockey and not the horse because if if something happens, then a good CEO, like what's going on right now, right? If, uh, you know, if if you're faced with a crisis like this, a good CEO will have the good judgment to make those decisions. So, so that, that, that absolutely uh, is, is one of the key areas. One of the other things though, that investors like to look for, we talked on it a little bit earlier is evidence. So can you show some evidence of what you're trying to do? What tests have you done? What initial uh, steps have you taken that can show that? If you're in the life sciences or in medical devices, what kind of um, uh, test data can you show? What kind of uh, performance data can you show? What have you done in the lab? What, What have you done from a proof of concept perspective or a proof of product perspective? To, to try to get it there. Show them, uh, you know, show them the data. They, they will want to look at data. And that applies across all things. Like I said, it could be, could be data of, here's what customers are doing on my platform. Here's how many I'm adding. Here's how much money I spent. And here's how many customers I got because of it. If you're a SaaS product, if you're a life science product, uh, as, as you're very familiar with, Ben, is, um, you know, what, what, um, what, uh, what lab results do we have? Or are we, we have some uh, proof of uh, concept here. We did this many tests and here's what the, here were the types of the improvements that we did. Even if it's not, you know, believe me, uh, in the life sciences, first in human is, is that's going to be a long way off. It's going to take right. a lot of money to get there. But right. what, can you, what can you demonstrate, whether it's an animal model or, or some other uh, 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 yeah, some other experiment or example, some something that that shows that. So, evidence is is really important. Then another one that's tied into evidence is momentum. And momentum can be uh, there's two factors to momentum. One is momentum in your business plan or momentum in your lab results. So, how do the results that I have now? How are they better than the results I had three months ago? Or, or six months ago when, when I just got it, got it started. How is that changing and is that improving? It's kind of the, the, the inverse of the flattening the curve, right? How is this curve kind of getting exponential and, and getting a little bit higher? The other part of momentum, though, is also investor momentum or you know, um, other, other people that are coming on board. So if you can demonstrate that uh, you know, when, when, I, when I first got this started, say I self-funded it, but then I was able to find uh, a handful of investors, whether they're friends and family or people that knew me 
they, they weren't able to invest that. Now uh, we've, a, we've been able to attract some third-party investors that, that we didn't know. So if you can also demonstrate momentum in how the, the, the buzz and excitement, but it's not just a marketing buzz thing, just how many more people and how many kind of people one step removed from your own inner circle are, are interested in this idea. What, what people are interested in it from, from maybe a larger geographic area? That, that could be something that's kind of interesting. Maybe, maybe you're, you're here in Orange County, but you say, well, we've, we've presented this, say, to life science angels, which, as you know, Ben is up in the Bay Area. So, right. And some folks in the Bay Area are now interested in this. Or there are investors in, in L.A., that, that are starting to look at this. So just some demonstration that there's momentum in the investor area, I think uh, uh, is, is pretty important too. So, so I'd say um, team, certainly. Um, the evidence that, uh, that you've got something, that you've done the tests, and then momentum, that your evidence is improving and your fundraising uh, track is improving. Those are the four things I would say. You know, Luis, those are great pearls of wisdom that every entrepreneur should consider. But, you know, I've also heard that um, you never say no to money. And having raised money several times, I don't know if that's a truism because who you get into bed uh, with from an investor perspective can make or break the company. Sure. It's really, really important. So one could argue on the early end of things, early stage investors, friends and family and angels, um, maybe not so intense. But as you get into the later stage rounds, certainly beyond the seed round into Series A and B, the game changes dramatically. So uh, what what guidance can you provide investors? Um, what, what are some key questions that a entrepreneur should ask when they're looking at investment partners? Because it, it, it's tempting, right? You say, "Man, we really need the money. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to push the plan that we pre presented. We're trying to accomplish, you know, certain milestones." So it's really tempting to say just yes, but I would argue that you really got to be a little more thoughtful, a little bit more wise in who you end up, you know, allowing to invest in the company again because. Uh, it can mean the matter of life or death for the company because people coming in may have experience, but not in your vertical or your or your area of expertise, um, and that can really create a lot of problems. So, what again? It's a long-winded uh, question I'm asking, but what are some questions that entrepreneurs should really ask, and what should they think about when they're thinking about you know taking in money from investors? Well, you know, it's 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 an interview process on both sides. It really is. And at, at a certain point, uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective, you want to make sure that you've answered these questions. So I'm not saying you sit down and you interview each uh, investor, but over the, course of, over the course of your discussions, get these answers and to the questions of, um, what are some of the other investments in your portfolio? Uh, most investors will, will like to talk about these investments in their portfolio. Ask about some of the investments that didn't turn out so well. Mm. So, at, you know, nobody's perfect. No investor has a 100% has a track record. So each investor should have a few investments that didn't work out. The obvious follow-up question is, what happened? Why didn't it work out? And you can get some, 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 uh, some pearls of wisdom from that, you know, I, let's see, let me think of a kind of an example here, but you know, you're likely to get a lot more juicier tidbits. Let's just say you ask someone uh, about an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend okay, and say, what happened? You're probably going to get a lot of, 
you're probably going to get a lot of dirt the kind of on the ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, right? More so than you say, oh, tell me about your wife, right? Well, so, or, or your husband. So it's maybe a goofy example, but my point is you, you can learn a lot from the situations where things didn't work out well. So ask your investor about prior investments that didn't work out well. Another, another approach that you can take is ask an investor if, it, particularly if they're a lead investor or they've done this type of investment before, you, when, when you're moving forward in the process, ask them if you can have a look at their deal docs. So do you have a preferred set of deal docs? Do you mind if, if I start to take a look at them to just get comfortable with them? Because while a lot of things can go sideways that aren't in the actual investment agreements, um, a lot of times those agreements will tell you, um, maybe not you directly, but you can have your attorney take a look at them and say, have a look at these agreements. Is there anything in here that, that you think is different or peculiar or or shows a lack of sophistication on the investor's part because some some investors may not be that sophisticated and they may have some investment docs that that aren't that interesting. So, um, and once again, a lot of things can go sideways that aren't there, but a lot of things, as, as you probably know, Ben, that sometimes it's it's actually the deal that you sign that later on comes back and and creates a lot of headaches. So you can learn something from from those as well. Yeah, that's a point that really struck a nerve and a chord for me. Oh, why is that? Um, the, the idea that uh, investors can sort of court you, and you go through the romancing process, and you go through that you know that that sort of dance, getting to know one another, going through the data room, getting fired up on the technology. Um, you know, all these positive you know vibes and signals are coming your way, and then all of a sudden, you have the conversation around the deal docs and what their idea of a good deal is versus a bad deal. And when you get to that point, depending on how many people you have in the queue and how many investors in the universe that you're cultivating and that you're, you know, if you have just one apple in the basket that you're relying upon, that's a place you don't want to be. But you also, these docs emerge and you realize it's a great deal for the investor and a horrible deal for the early stage company. Right. And meanwhile, you're way down the pathway. You spent money on the, on the attorneys, which isn't small potatoes, 30 right. plus thousand dollars, right? And all of a sudden you realize that this would cripple the company, right? The, the control, um, the percent ownership, the direction of the company. And we're talking, we're early stage. We haven't, you know, gotten out of the basket, so to speak. So, you know, that, that is really important to ask those questions, to understand the deal flow, their history of deals, what worked, what didn't work. And then, and then certainly understand what the deal, the typical deal docs look like. Obviously pre-money is important. If it's a convertible note, what's the caps important? Um, all those things sort of uh, tie together. So after CEOs have the success of raising the seed round of funding, in your experience, what is the biggest mistake they can make as they are tackling the early stages of development? Hmm. You know, I, I, I think it, it just depends. So it, it depends on the industry, depends on where they're at. I would say that current situation is really kind of driving a lot of people's mindset right now. but. Um, uh, spending money based on the next round of funding is, is a problem that sometimes uh, I, I've seen happen where, where a, a company will get um, a, an initial investment, they'll have their budget and their timeline for that, but somewhere along that they start spending money assuming 
that the next round of funding is is uh, is a certainty. Right. And um, that that can happen. Uh, you know that that can happen at kind of at all levels. It also happens sometime at uh, at uh, at the fund level, frankly, where where sometimes you you um, you're counting on future funds to invest in your existing uh, portfolio companies or something. So, so spending money that you don't have or that spending money on a pace that assumes that something good is going to happen as opposed to spending money at a pace, uh, assuming that there could be exogenous situations that come up that, uh, that, uh, will, will change that timeline and change that spend. So I, I think that's, that's one of them. Um, you know, and a lot of a lot of it kind of comes back to that. You know, perhaps perhaps um, adding people to your staff. You know, as as you know that uh, it's once you hire an employee that that hits your that hits your burn rate every single month. And to to make a change at that uh, a few months down the road is, is not, it's not easy. It's not easy to, it's easier to add employees sometimes than it is to reduce employees. So, you know, maybe adding, adding staff that, uh, that is not really moving you towards those milestones, um, that, uh, that you really need. Those those Um, are phenomenal points, Luis. I mean, I, I, I can tell you from experience that, you know, when you get this, the seed money and you're going through the project plan and you're investing the dollars in the plan you share with the investors, um, that you got to plan that things won't work out the plan and that the dollars really have to be focused on that plan. And when I sort of start early stage companies, the FTEs are really low, full-time equivalents. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really consulting as we get going through the process and we've de-risked it a little bit, then we'll look to add people full-time because you're absolutely right. You pl- you add somebody and then you have to take them, away, uh, take them out of the organization or you know, lay them off or whatever, that's a huge hit to the psyche of the organization as you're sure. trying to go through these massive challenging milestones. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are mistakes made sometimes with, um, you know, kind of changes of direction. I think you've, you've got to be, you've got to be sure that, uh, that your, your board is fully on board. Um, I, there's there's a there's a startup company that I'm working with right now that uh, um, they're they're taking a pretty radical kind of change in their approach. But the important part is it's really driven by some board members who are investors who have the ability to support that change. Mm. So so if if you do if you do adjust midstream or you do make some changes. You've really got to make sure your board members are on board with that, um, particularly because you know they're they're probably going to be in on the next round of investment. So you want to make sure that they they support what you're doing if you make a change, uh, so that uh, you know later on it won't come back. Well, here's what we really invested in, and then you ended up doing this, and we're not really interested in that area. Right. So so you you've got to make sure you're on board with uh, with that the board it really understands kind of the changes that you're making. Well, that's a really important point. And so when you think about angel investors, do they typically come in just one round or do they desire to come in in subsequent rounds and maintain their stake? What, what have you seen in your experience? You know, it, it's, it's hard to make kind of over, overarching uh, uh, descriptions of what angel investors will do because there's, it, 
angel investors really comes down to the decision making of one person. There's, there's not an investment committee. There's not an investment thesis. There might be, but there's usually not an investment thesis. Um, those, those funds are just so discretionary. It, it really depends. Some, some angel investors uh, absolutely believe in, um, in using their pro rata investment rights. Maybe they, they got pro rata investment rights, or at least they come back, so they'll continue uh, to, to invest along the lines. And, um, and others, others may, you know, just want to place, place a few bets and, and kind of see, see how they, uh, see how they come out. I think, uh, you know, a, 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 a gambling illu- uh, illustration might be the case here. You know, if, uh, uh, if, if any of you, any of the li- uh, viewers are craps players, you know, that, uh, sometimes when you, when you play craps, you can bet on one number and just sit there and wait. Wait until the number comes up or wait until a seven comes up. And then the person right next to you will bet on one number and then a second number and then a third number. And they're, they've really spread it across the board that, uh, that they might uh, do something. And they're, they're looking for those, those bigger hits. And so it, it just, it, it really depends. Now, it's interesting. So I know in talking to Richard Sudik that you guys have obviously access to angel capital. Um, CoFund2, Tech Coast Angels, um, and there's other VCs that are also, uh, when it opens back up again, hopefully soon, are also part of the facility there. So if I come get my seed round, and I'm now uh, approaching the A round of funding, how can the COBE or UCI Beal Applied Innovation get involved with the CEO as you're going to the next level, arguably maybe $10 million to trying to raise or more in the Series A? How do you guys get involved in, in those uh, subsequent rounds? Well, I think from from my own perspective, yeah, I'm 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 stage agnostic. So I will help companies at their seed round, and then also at their Series A. And there's other companies that I've helped at Series B, and uh, even later, mostly around seed and A, no doubt. But I have uh, investors in my network that will look at some of those uh, some of those later uh, rounds as well. So um, that's that's at least kind of what. Uh, what I can do kind of for, for those uh, for those later rounds um, other other aspects of the cove listen there are um, there's a there's a growing network of investors that um, operate at the cove once again with the caveat when the coves when the coves operating there's a, a growing network of investors that uh, that work there so so uh, engaging with those investors and finding out if um, uh, if if there are other investors in their network that that may do the follow-on rounds of funding, that's that's another way to uh, to approach it. Going back to your uh, your initial uh, your initial base of investors and and asking them uh, if where where have some of your other portfolio companies gone? So maybe they don't know them, but you've invested in other portfolios. Who funded their Series B? So you can start to kind of build your build your list that way, kind of work backwards to your investors and see what uh, their other portfolio companies did. Yeah, that's a great point. And I also found that a lot of these investors, um, it's a mandate, right? So if it's an early stage company, it's too risky for their appetite, but certainly they'll invest in, 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 in stage companies where you've developed it, you've done proof of concept, it works, and now it's about scaling. So I think part of what I found is that you really have to look at the stage of the fund, what they typically like to invest in, um, and, and certainly don't be afraid to reach out. I've, I've got a number uh, that certainly in the late seed round and certainly a round 
that have expressed an interest once we get to that point and we do risk, uh, the mm -hmm. risk, if you will, even further. Right. So I read, you know, one of my bugaboos, and I've said this in a previous podcast, that I came from the Bay Area and they got an amazing ecosystem, right? They got the legal, they got the financial and spades on Sand Hill Road. They've got an incredible startup ecosystem of a lot of talent that are used to these startups. Um, and, and so they got this sort of triad, if you will, strategy built in. But I think what underpins it all is the capital available for ideas that perhaps come out of Stanford and other areas. And as we think about Orange County, we have an equally vibrant ecosystem potential. We've got incredibly talented people here, very high educated, and it's certainly getting more and more startup experience as, as we move forward in time. But one of the challenges, been is going from, you know, uh, angel money, if you will, to um, the A and B and C rounds of funding and those kind of VCs that go with it, it seems like we have we sort of have a gap. But then I was reading in Los Angeles that VCs are on the rise in Los Angeles. We had a recent exit, a mega exit for uh, PayPal of $4 billion, an acquisition of Honey, and then Snap's uh, $19.7 billion IPO is really an indication that the VCs up in LA can pull off these billion-dollar exits. Uh, and so the ecosystem has been maturing with the arrival of bigger VC funds in LA for sure. Um, what would you say is the state of Orange, the Orange County ecosystem in terms of the evolution and how we can pull in bigger funds uh, to drive innovation in OC? Yeah, well, that's that's the billion dollar question, right? And that's, it's beyond millions. It's it's into the billion dollar question. So um, it's. It takes a lot of moving parts, but we we have the pieces in place. And frankly, in in a lot of cases, the the flywheel is is already moving. So, um, uh, in my view, because it's honestly it's my job. My job is to identify the investors, build relationships with them, so that I can uh, start to funnel the deal flow to them. In my experience, there are actually more investors operating either in Orange County or that are interested in Orange County than is, uh, than is initially obvious. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, there's well over a dozen, I think, uh, VCs that are both resident in Orange County and, and focused on Orange County. And, you just the the word isn't really out there that uh, that that what they're doing. We there's a, a very successful serial entrepreneur who was just you know really saying that same thing. It's like gosh, we we've got the seed funds, we've got the angels, we've got the ideas. We can get these companies funded through Series A, but when it comes to Series B, there's nobody here. And I, I hear them. You know, good. You're you're an experienced person. You know that, but. Have you met this VC, a recent VC that just set up set up shop here, Ancona Capital? And they hadn't. And so I, I made that connection, and and now uh, now they they may do some things together. So my point is that there are probably more VCs than than is commonly uh, kind of commonly known, and we're trying to get the word out. Uh, Carrie Ransom, who runs OC4 Venture Studio, and I. We're, we're partners in crime. We do a lot of things together. In fact, he was on my webinar just last week. And, um, and we've created a roadmap of sorts for entrepreneurs that show kind of at the different stage of, of your idea development and your growth development, what resources are out there, both organizationally and from advice all the way through capital. 
And, uh, and our, our goal is to just continue to populate that guide, to continue to get that out there. And all it really is is a slide. It's just a PowerPoint slide, but it can show you kind of where you, you know, depending on your stage as an entrepreneur, where, where you need to go. So that's one of the things that, that we're doing at our part, trying to get that, that uh, visibility out there a little bit more so that it's obvious. Where can people institutional slides? That sounds so pretty powerful. Yeah, it, it, it is. And we, we showed it on our, on, our, uh, on our PowerPoint last week. We're still kind of working it out a little bit, and, but we promise it's, it's going to be out there. And frankly, it's available if anybody wants to reach out to me. I'll, I'm happy to give them a draft version of it as it is now. But there's also institutional things that are going on. So the, the, the CEO Leadership Alliance of Orange County, a group of high-level uh, executives, CEOs at a lot of Orange County companies that have been pulled together and are working on a number of aspects around innovation, not just capital, but uh, education, attracting the talent, keeping the talent, um, driving innovation so that those ideas can continue to go. And one of the things that they've done is they've raised a master fund and they've been now dedicated a very large capital commitment to two capital firms that are uh, that are resident in Orange County and making investments in Orange County. So it's Miramar Digital Ventures and Visionary Ventures, one on the tech side and one on the life science side. And the CEO Leadership Alliance is planning to continue to do that, so that they they continue to raise more funds, so that they can get out get that capital out to more uh, more deals. And there's a lot of ideas as well about what would it take to attract these large um, uh, marquee VC firms and have them set up an office in Orange County. That, there's a lot of ideas and there's a lot of discussion on. There's one, one thesis is that if you get large limited partner commitments into these funds, that they'll be more likely to set up shop here in Orange County or put an office here in Orange County. Mm-hmm. I'm not, sh- you know, I'd say the jury's still out on that. So how big of a limited partner commitment does it take to set up that satellite shop? We don't know yet, but you can at least set up an ecosystem where they can land. And that's part of what Richard Sudek has built at the Cove. And, you know, see the virtual background here behind me of a screening room that they could use if they were there. But so we've got a number of initiatives to be able to house them. So we've got offices that, uh, that they can rent very economically. We've got um, shared offices, meaning that uh, it's kind of first come, first serve for particular offices, and they're, they're designated for VCs only. So we've got a couple of VC tenants that, uh, that use those offices in case they only want to use it once or twice a month. They have an office, a private office that they can come to and, and do that. So, so you know, we're, we're trying to reduce the friction here, here at the Cove and make it easier for VCs to do the business uh, in, in Orange County, whether by having an office, by using facilities like the, like the one here in my virtual background, that's, that's our Venture Cove deal screening room. And it's currently used, uh, when, when we were operating here a few months ago, it was being used by Tech Coast Angels, uh, the Co-Fund, Koretsu Forum, OC. It's also been used by a, a local venture capital firm for their limited partners meetings where they were able to bring their investors, their fund investors into that room and uh, bring in their portfolio companies. They were able to stream it out to all their LPs that couldn't show up. They were able to stream in their portfolio companies that couldn't be there. 
So as you can see, we're, we're building the ecosystem to make their jobs better, to make them more sophisticated, to, uh, to help them do their job of making those investments here. So, so it, it takes a lot of moving pieces. It takes the uh, education to the community of what's here, what Carrie and I are doing. It takes um, LP commitments into these funds, which is what CLA is kind of working on right now. It takes the infrastructure physically to, to get it going. It takes the strong deal flow, kind of the critical mass of deal flow in entrepreneurs, which I think all of these organizations are, are, are working on to, to try to do that. What you're doing right now to kind of get the word out, that, that helps. So it, it's going to take a lot of pieces, but, but we've got the building blocks. We're already, it's not just building blocks. We've got the building blocks and we built some walls. We built, we built some uh, structures that, uh, that, that can help make that happen. So I'm sorry, kind of a long answer and I get very excited about that, but there's, there's really a lot more going on both in results and activities that are, that are moving us towards that goal. Yeah, it's cool. I'll tell you, the, uh, the, the Cove is a beautiful facility. I've been there a number of times. I know you guys recently moved, and it's just a great place to go, great flow, great energy. Uh, Rich was talking about the Cove, the idea of you know a cove in the ocean, safety, a harbor safety. So right. you really got a great um, sort of cultural environment um, that really, I think, uh, allows for an expression of very unique ideas and, and, and just the collaboration that's there. It's been, it's been impressive. And so really hats off to you and and Richard for, for developing and starting this thing and, and growing it. So obviously you guys have a number of um, angel funds and VC funds that are now there. What does a five-year uh, five roadmap look like in terms of setting up more investors within the code? You guys giving that some thought? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we currently have, let's see, I believe we have eight investors that have offices or that, that VC hoteling. That, that I described that have, uh, have facilities at the Cove. So those are both kind of local firms that have decided this is a good place to work. Um, and we have some out of the area firms that want that, uh, want that presence there when, when they come to, uh, to visit that area. We've got one firm, Vertical Venture Partners, who has, they've really taken the whole satellite office approach. So they're up on Sand Hill Road, but they've decided that they want their satellite office in Southern California to uh, be at the Cove. Bow Capital, it's a venture capital firm that primarily makes investments into uh, companies that are spun out of or are founded by UC founders. So for the entire UC system, not just UCI. So that firm's called Bow Capital. And they decided that an office at the Cove was ideal for them because they can see UCI companies, they can bring companies up from San Diego, in from Riverside, down from UCLA. They can fly into John Wayne Airport and be at our offices in 10 minutes. So, so they've, uh, they see the value in that as well. And as we continue to expand, the construction's still going on on our third floor. So we're going to have another 17,000 square feet available um, uh, probably, gosh, sometime in the next couple of months, I think. Uh, certainly by the time office buildings are open, they, they should be ready to go. And um, we have some VC firms that are already looking at offices up there. So our goal is to, to continue to provide that office infrastructure and the ecosystem, the facilities like the ones you see behind me, so that, uh, so that firms, uh, firms can, can use that. So our, our vision is to just continue to, uh, continue to add more, uh, continue to get them involved, 
continue to support the firms that have decided to make their permanent offices here in, in Orange County, like Ancona Capital, which I mentioned is one of the newer firms here in the, here in the area. So, right. um, so that's our vision. I think it's, it, heck, it's, it's probably not even a five-year plan. It's a one-year plan. We're going to build up this building. We're going to get more VCs here. And, and in five years, uh, yeah, you know, almost, almost like, the, um, like the entrepreneurs, right? We're going to give them that, that cove, that safe harbor. But, you know, we're, we don't expect that entrepreneurs are going to be at the cove forever, right? We want them to get funded. We want them to move into their own offices and, and kind of grow out. Look, you get a VC firm that finds that their satellite office is interesting or they're growing their firm and, and they, they want to move somewhere around UCI Research Park or somewhere very close by. That that'd be a great outcome. So we we'd like to um, <coughs> excuse me. We'd like to give them a place to land, but have them grow and then also move out, but still be engaged in the area. So to really get the synergy going, I, I reflect back my experience with Launchpad, which was phenomenal. I was at MTIF last year, and uh, uh-huh. that was a great opportunity for my company. Do you guys see either collaborating with Launchpad or developing your own Launchpad so VCs, whether it's life sciences or tech? can come and listen to a lot of p- uh, pitches within a defined period of time? Well, you know, we, we view the Cove and the facility built as a platform. So, you know, we, we produce some events at the Cove, but our vision is to have this platform that other organizations can come in and use our facilities and, and do what, what they do. So, um, so who knows, we, we may produce more events, but, but no, I think the vision is here's the platform, use it, let it leverage it and let the ecosystem and the organization go on in terms of actually kind of providing the hands on work with the startups. We have an SBDC at, at UCI, UCI SBDC, which provides no cost consulting for, for startup plans. So it's one-on-one, no cost consulting, and we've got a great team there. They they pivoted in many ways to help some of their existing clients with emergent, uh, economic injury disaster loans, with the Paycheck Protection Program loans. So they're helping their existing clients and some new clients that are coming in. So some tech companies take advantage of some of these resources that previously weren't a weren't available and b they really weren't kind of interested in. So our SBDC is helping them. But what they do 12 months out of the year is no cost one-on-one consulting for, for some of those startups. So just like a Launchpad SBDC, we've got our own SBDC in, in our building um, as well. That's to the fantastic. point about kind of the, the, the screenings, the, the deal pitches and things like that, I think there's a lot of great opportunities to do that. So I don't, I don't see where we have to cre- recreate the wheel. I think, you know, personally... I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about what I'm doing, which I think is very different. You know, my, my kind of hands-on direct free introductions, there's not a lot of people doing that. Right. So, and, and yeah, do, you know, I, I work with Launchpad, JC refers deals to me and I help kind of make connections that, uh, that go out from there. So yeah, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not in, in our view anyway, competitive, it's, it's collaborative. Let's, let's leverage each other's resources and let's, let's do what each organization does best. Or uh, Octane puts on some great programs. You're, you're, a, you're an MTF alumni. So yeah, those are, those are terrific. Keep doing those. And then let's, let's engage and let's do things that we're really good at specifically. And uh, that, that will really move the needle. Great. Hey, Luis, as we uh, close this down, is there anything we've not covered you'd like to share with the audience? Um, 
Well, I, I think you probably see it on the on on my bio or something. I actually started Launchpad, so I worked with Octane back in the day. So with Gary Augusta back in two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. We, uh, we created the Launchpad program. So yeah, quite proud of that. Um, you mentioned Honey Science, the big PayPal acquisition. Uh, that was actually a UCI alumni. So George Ron. So he was a UCI alumni from the School of Computer Sciences uh, at UCI. So we're, we're pleased that uh, one of our alumni, now you're right, he, he got his seed funding up in LA, some angel investors up in LA, Eric Ranala at uh, Mucker Labs was one of their uh, angel investors and it was a great outcome for them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Eric actually lives in Newport beach. One of my goals is to say, Eric, you're living here in Newport beach. Why don't you work two days a week at the Cove and then drive up to Santa Monica three days a week. That's my own personal goal to see if I can get him to, uh, to do that a little bit more so we can engage Eric. But, um, but yeah, there's just, uh, there's, there's lots of good things going on, get engaged, um, and, uh, and, and start, uh, you know, grab an end of the rope and start pulling. Yeah, no, that's great. So where can they learn more about UCI Build, Applied Innovation, and more importantly, directly connect with you for those entrepreneurs that are trying to look for direction and certainly capital? So um, our website is pretty easy. It's innovation.uci.edu. Excuse me, just a minute. So um, you can go there. You can, um, our, uh, our contact information for everybody on our staff is there. You could see the events. That, uh, that we're producing. Right now we're producing um, a series of uh, weekly VC speaker series events. You can also get links to the UCI SBDC. You could get information on our facilities like the Venture, the Venture Cove screening room space right behind me, the beach, the large event space that we have. So um, our, our website, innovation.uci.edu, will give you a lot of that. Awesome. Luis, thanks for coming on Beyond and sharing the story, sharing the vision, and hopefully we can connect investors to the opportunity and, and really uh, empower, impact the e ecosystem in, uh, in Orange County. It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And thank you very much for what you're doing. I think this is a great forum that you've developed here to help get the word out and uh, to kind of con continue to connect people while we're isolated. I think this type of connection is important. So thank you very much for what you're doing. Yeah, Luis, my pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Okay, great. Thank you.